0: Welcome to 100 PM, the show where we interview 100 active product managers from startups to enterprise, everything in between, all from one great city every season. If you're joining us for the first time, be sure to visit our website, 100productmanagers.com. That's the number 100, Productmanagers.com. It's the web's largest single free resource for product management topics. We've got tons of great articles about business, technology, and design, fabulous contributors, and the official must read, listen to, follow list as recommended by our incredible guests week over week. It's season one. We're here in sunny Los Angeles. I'm your host, Susanna Bate, resident instructor at General Assembly and founder of The Development Factory. Welcome and thanks for listening. Hey there, listeners. Super exciting episode we have today. I'm here with Bettina Elstro. Bettina Elstro is part of the founding team of the Product Managers Association of Los Angeles. She's going to be telling us all about that organization. How you can get involved if you're not familiar with the work they're doing already and why they call her a startup wolf in enterprise clothing let's meet Bettina (laughs) Uh, so you you uh you have this long background in product management as you describe and you kind of have covered it from all the angles. you covered it from the marketing side. You, you talked about being sort of a web scientist initially. How would you describe yourself as a product manager if you had to kind of go out and market yourself in present day? What kind of product manager are you? Your unique product management complexion.
1: I would say that I'm someone who wants to push the envelope on what is available to us from a technology standpoint so how can we leverage existing technologies and put it to some new application and like kind of see what works you know like how can we operate on the fringes of what's possible and what we can create that could revolutionize everything you know like I think those are really really fun but I'm also the type of person who just really likes to run with something and see it through. Right, so there's, I think there's like different types of product people. So there's a lot of visionaries that exist, but then you know there's also like the day-to-day ex- executors, uh, and I kind of like I like wearing both hats. And so you know, I was late to this interview because I was reviewing a pull request, like making content. and I was like, oh crap, I needed to leave. I have an interview. Uh, but I, That was you being an executor and <laughs> yeah, getting it like, done? Yeah, like working on all these tiny details and getting stuck in that and being like, oh, wait a minute, I, de- I need to be there, but you know, I also love looking at something like from, you know, the bird's eye view of like, where could this go and how, you know, what are the higher implications of this?
0: It's an interesting perspective hearing you say it because I think fundamentally the role of product management is the strategic role it it does require you to be sort of outside and elevated and I think there is a tendency because so many of us come from practical disciplines there can be a tendency to hover or get comfortable in hard skills I'm really, really great in Pivotal Tracker, so I'm always in backlog grooming when I should be out talking to customers or when I should be thinking about the roadmap in a, in a more visionary way. And, and so do you think, it sounds like the integration of a visionary mindset and an, an execution mindset is that right blend, so do you think sometimes people peril being too much one way or the other? Have you seen that in peers?
1: I've, I don't know if I've seen it necessarily in peers, but I've seen it across different organizations. So I've seen where, you know, and and like some companies are successful at this and some aren't, but you know, there's a lot of people who say, well, the product people need to be like the strategic ones. And then like the product owner is the, you know or the business analyst is like the day-to-day detail-oriented person i guess that can work but i would prefer to wear all the hats that's just my preference
0: right but yet you've worked in a number of enterprise organizations like i think this idea of wearing a lot of hats seems like it's a privilege if you see it as a privilege that belongs to smaller organizations sort of scrappier startups whereas once you become part of the enterprise, there's one person for every one fifth of a job mm-hmm. that exists. So how do you negotiate that desire and then still thrive inside of that kind of environment?
1: Well, I mean, I think it just goes back to like how do you want to organize that company. So I've I've actually worked for a you know, very large company where the product manager was supposed to do like both strategic and product ownership, like writing the user stories and, and um, doing acceptance testing and everything. Like, I, I think um, that's probably the right way to go about it because otherwise you're playing a game of telephone with people and things get, like nuance gets lost, details get lost. Um, what I've seen work well is delegating other things um, such as working with ux designers because you know their their obsession is how are people going to interact and then like the product people will say i want this outcome and then they can go figure out how it will work and how you'll get there right and so i think that's a good way to not work a million hour weeks (laughs) um working with good, you know, QA people and developers who are gonna think about those edge cases and like bring them to top of mind for you when maybe you hadn't thought of every possible scenario, right, so working, you know, communicating with all these people and say, hey, this is what I'm looking to do, let's kind of hash it out and figure out how we're gonna build this, right, and and kind of have that collaboration from a very early standpoint.
0: Right, you had said to me, before the success of a product manager really has a lot to do with their ability to form a cross-functional team. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about what does that
1: mean and what has your experience been with that? I think that first and foremost the scrum team needs to be really tight. So there has to be this established relationship and people need to understand, you know, what their role and responsibility is within the team and people need to have, you know, people within the team need to have this team mentality of, you know, if if we fail, we fail as a team, but if we win, we win as a team. Um, outside of that, I think it's also really important to be very connected with other departments in the organization who are going to be interacting with your tool. So, you know, in an e-commerce example, you wanna be really tight with marketing because they're the one who's gonna market your product, right? You wanna work with customer service and understand you you wanna make them happy too. Um, If you're, you you wanna know how operations is gonna work and like how your product is being shipped and like understand how each person is doing their job and actually have empathy for them and like understand what their day to day is like, Uh, because they're going to give you really good insight on what works for them and what doesn't work for them in terms of your product, right? So if you're looking at some kind of like inventory system, let's make sure that the people who work in the warehouse are comfortable with how that inventory system works and it's efficient for them, not just, you know, efficient for executives, right? You're,
0: you're speaking very diplomatically than some other people who have come on the show when they talk about what you're really talking about, which is the demands of other departments on product. <laughs> but it, it may, it's making me think of, of a question that I haven't asked, but I'm curious about your perspective is, we, we focus a lot talking about, oh, what does it mean to have to work with developers? How do you negotiate conversations with designers? What do you think people outside of the products department think about product managers
1: wow um it depends it very much depends and i think it's it it's the onus is on the product manager to establish good relationships so i've seen situations where you know if you don't talk to your stakeholders, then they're just going to steamroll over you, right? They don't, you know, if if you're not going to establish some kind of relationship with them and understand what their concerns are, then why would they want to help you? And I know I'm speaking like very generally, but I've um, I remember I started it was like one of my first product roles, and I drove like 90 miles to a different office and I met with the operations team and like the I met with a VP and he was like listen if you're going to be successful here like you need to make sure that all of your ideas are vetted through us or at least you know let us know what you're doing so release day doesn't come or like completely surprised and thrown off guard and I thought okay he's probably telling me this because other people haven't done that and I, you know, that just really stuck in my mind, I think, I don't know, that was many, many years ago, but that advice has always stuck with me. Did
0: you comply or did you go running to another company when, when you were sort of faced with that?
1: Oh, I complied. I think that was like my second week of work there. <laughs> so, you know, you kind of have to comply, but it it's really helpful because, you know, especially, and, and I guess I'm just talking in terms of like internal software that, you know, other people are using, or even maybe it's like, oh, I'm rolling out something to customers and if I don't get it vetted with customer service, then they might get flooded with calls, right? And so bouncing your ideas off of other people who have different perspectives with how to interact with the product are always going to give you good feedback. And it's really, really important to maintain those relationships and maintain those communication channels because they're also going to help you think of things you hadn't thought of so i i mean we're i think as product managers we're like jack of all trades and master of none um but i i do think that like we should be masters in communication because we need to keep people uh updated on what it is we're doing because it affects them
0: one of my mantras in life is you know the quality of your life is directly proportionate to the quality of your relationships sounds like that's Equally true in the context of product if you're not keeping right relation with key stakeholders as you described Yeah, it's gonna be a shit show. Yep, <laughs> But it's, it, it, it makes me think of another interesting point, you know, everybody's talking about lean and it's one thing to Take up the ideals of the lean movement and it's certainly one thing to apply them in the context of a startup environment I think as we're seeing more and more enterprise or larger organizations are becoming interested in what does that mean and Also, this is case in point you know, this VP of operations telling you everything is going to be fine as long as you run everything by us That inherently creates a roadblock to, to lean thinking. I mean there is a necessary integration feedback integration loop that comes with Scrum that comes with Uh, the approach and then there also has to be room to say I'm empowered to come up with ideas and move on them and if I have to start running around and and vetting it with everybody.
1: Yeah I mean you bring up a good point and I mean I would say that the way around that is to include them in ideation right include them in your design sprints include you know people who you consider subject matter experts in x y or z have them come up with ideas because they're gonna think of things you didn't think of and, and have them feel included, right? And so if they're all gung-ho about one thing that you know it's gonna bomb, um, at least have let them open their mind to everything that we think about as a product team and, and show them like, hey, this is this is our process and this is how we think about things and this is how we prioritize features. So I I think that's one way around it. So you don't have to, you know, have all these different people check the box before you can move forward. Right, right, interesting. Talk about, if
0: you're willing, take us through kind of the day in the life of, of an enterprise product manager, you know, like starting with coffee, because I think one of the things, we talk a lot on the show about demystifying product management. And I think one of the things that continues to be unclear or mysterious, certainly to people who are new to the field, or who are are just working in roles for the first time, is the rhythm, right? The Mm -hmm. rhythm of day-to-day versus the rhythm of a launch versus the rhythm of a crisis. So when you talk about product management, what does the average day kind of look like?
1: I think that's, well, okay, I I actually really like product management because no day is the same. So, you know, I could be, I could start the morning up in the clouds and then the evening down in the weeds or vice versa. Uh, I think the difference between working in a small company versus working in a larger company is you just have a lot more meetings (laughs) and you have, a lot more people that you need to stay in communication with so those are the challenging things where you have to be very careful and protective about your time because if you're not then your entire life can get sucked into meetings and then you're like oh wow it's 5:30, and I haven't written a single user story for my grooming session tomorrow um, so I think that you need to prioritize your time accordingly
0: right which and time management is maybe the single hardest personal productivity skill to master Mm -hmm. that's so few people are actually even connected to their own time how much time it takes to do and yeah there is that perceived sense of I'll get to it without which is one of the reasons I like tools like Pivotal Tracker JIRA and Velocity as a concept. I mean we've at the development factory we've brought agile processes across all of our departments our marketing is agile. It's like when are we really gonna get that thing happening Mm -hmm. versus um, just a feeling of stuff might get done.
1: Yeah and I mean using good tools using good communications tools are gonna help you decrease your number of meetings. So yeah, using things like JIRA or whatever to convey, like, oh, this is what all the teams are working on in the upcoming sprint. These are our goals for the upcoming sprint. Using, um, gosh, I don't know, uh, using, I mean, even like intranet pages of explaining, you know, just explaining, hey, this is my vision for this product and these are the high-level problems that I'm looking to solve. And, oh, here is a dashboard of our metrics and how we're pacing and where we're going. You know, providing all of, all of those high-level details might actually save you a few meetings because people can just go look at that and get a better understanding of what it is you're looking to do.
0: Right, this idea of optimizing internal communication introduces a whole world of potential processes Mm -hmm. i want to go back to my question about a day in the life of and rephrase it and see if this is this offers a different perspective so there's this idea that what you're really managing at any given time is short-term initiatives mid-term initiatives long-term initiatives maybe that's another way to bring color to your statement about no one day is the same because one day you might be all about the short-term stuff and another day you might be sipping on that coffee literally or proverbially and thinking (laughs) about the big picture what are what are just a handful of things that live in those piles in your experience yeah
1: I, i guess um so that that resonates with me because bigger companies have bigger time frames so you know, if you're at a startup, you might just be thinking of, how am I going to get through the next 90 days without running out of money,
0: right. whereas
1: in a larger organization that's well-funded, you know, how will this decision affect us in five years? You know, how how is this going to work when we know we need to upgrade, you know, SAP, which is going to happen in... You know seven years and and trying to understand like should i build something should i buy something i think build or buy is more um explored in larger larger organizations because there's just bigger budgets and more money and understanding where you know i guess roadmaps are just longer right and so you have to understand how what your product's life cycles are and how they all connect together and interact together.
0: Right. I guess it's a lot I like to reflect a lot about this idea of, you know, what is the right environment for me. Part of why we talk about these concepts is because enterprise isn't for everybody. Startup isn't for everybody. It's 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 such a sort of very different beast. And you know, if you're the kind of person who's like, I don't want to commit to this relationship right now because, like, I might want to go backpacking in two months and, like, sell my car. Then the last thing you want to be doing is, like, mapping seven years into the future.
1: That's true. That's true. Uh, somebody told me not too long ago that I am a startup wolf in, a, in enterprise clothing or something. What was that? Your, no you're your startup product manager disguised in enterprise clothing which i thought was like yeah that's pretty true because i i actually love the fast paced nature of startups i love how you know you, you might pivot twice a day <laughs> uh, but what i don't like is the risk so i don't like knowing oh no i might be out of job tomorrow because i've got bills to pay And so trying to find the larger companies that are willing to invest in like self disruption is what I'm really interested in right now.
0: Right, now you have a more succinct answer for the next person who asks you what kind of product manager you are. Yes. You're like, I'm a startup (laughs) wolf in enterprise clothing. Uh, Metrics, everyone's like metrics, metrics, metrics. And you know, there's so much tech now Around me- a dashboard for this, a dashboard for connecting your dashboards, 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 metrics, metrics. I guess I'm curious, in your opinion, how much are product companies really embracing metrics versus knowing they should, but being way more loose about collecting data, analyzing data, responding to data? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You don't have to out anybody, but just generally from what you've seen.
1: Generally from what I've seen, companies are not obsessed with data and kind of don't care about it. And Interesting. It, it's, you know, maybe it's because they're happy with their bottom line. Maybe it's just because like, oh, well, we haven't traditionally done it and it's too hard to start now. Or I, I've actually also seen the inverse where it's like, we're collecting a crap ton of data and we're so we're drowning in it. We have no idea how to make any sense of it.
0: (laughs) Right. Information overload.
1: Yeah. And I, and I think that like, it's hard to make data driven decisions. It's hard to do that. It's hard to know what the right things are to measure. So I, I mean, I always try, so, you know, you're never going to have perfect data. You know, especially if you're working in older companies that have been around longer than computers, um, you're never going to have perfect data and people aren't careful about keeping like historical accuracy. So you can go back and look and like, oh, how's X, Y, and Z trending? Um, I always try to implement some form or another of metrics, even if it's like just a even even just estimating or guessing like i have no idea like i'm gonna estimate that right now we're at x and i'm pretty sure in six months we can get to y and i'm i'm gonna just make these assumptions and crunch out some numbers and like maybe this is where we'll be at least you're trying to measure something because otherwise like how are you going to know if you're product is valuable if, you know, it's easy to sell software and, and say, oh, well, we've got sales and, and that's how you can measure it, right? So, I guess, like, e-commerce is really easy to measure. It's really easy to measure marketing tools, like, because the data is there and the money's there, but if you're looking at um, internal tools, if you're looking at software as a service, then you need to figure out, you know, what moves the needle for me and what moves the needle for my company and what moves the needle for clients or end users.
0: Yeah, this, it's funny you say about the bottom line is good so no one cares. And it reminds me, I worked in hospitality for years and I worked at this restaurant that basically printed money. It was just like always busy, but then it just bled money everywhere. Mm -hmm. and you know the owner would kind of breeze in twice a year in his Porsche and they pour himself a drink and then leave and it was so bizarre to me you know because I've always been entrepreneurial and I thought don't you want like it doesn't even matter whether you're making a million dollars a year five million dollars a year if you could be making ten just by putting stitching up a little hole don't you want to stitch up that hole and I, I think it yeah I mean there's a mentality that probably starts at the top that's either you're the type of person who is fine with pretty good or you're sort of obsessed with optimization. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting to think about how the mentality of the leadership team can trickle down even to something as specific as which metrics departments try to collect because there's that sense of, well, if no one else is watching Why should we?
1: Yeah, then why bother?
0: Fascinating. I never want to have an enterprise company. If you ever (laughs) see me on that track, I want you to pull up this recording and remind me. Um, With all of your experience, has there been any recent learning on the job where you thought, Oh, I didn't see that blind spot. Uh, I feel new again from discovering, or are you just like super pro now and mistakes don't happen?
1: Oh, I make mistakes all the time, all the time. And I think that everybody should feel comfortable and celebrate in their mistakes and their failures because you're never gonna have all of the perfect information available to you when you start and you have to pivot. So it's kind of more exciting to me to find problems and issues, because I'm like, ooh, I found something that I can learn from, and now, you know, because of this, we can decide, we can make a decision to move this way, so I think that those tell very good stories, you know, you, you, can, you can try as hard as you want up front to make assumptions, and I guess that's always very valuable. So make up make assumptions up front, and then wait until they're invalidated. But at least have a backup plan of like, well, what am I gonna do if you know the color is blue and it ends up being green? Like, how am I going to pivot from that?
0: Is there a not to put you on the spot, but so one of the things just talking about uh, validated learning, which you were just describing, is no matter how much you know validate it a lot of times product managers myself included i've kind of said i fell into the trap of like going straight to feature or straight to design i fell in love with my solution do you have kind of a weak spot that you know in yourself that you have to keep that eye on because you have a tendency that you want to do it this way and you know it's not the right way
1: I think I've gotten burned enough in the past where if I don't know why I'm doing something because someone's just asking for it and I'm just building a solution without really understanding what problem I'm solving for, then yeah, like I've definitely made those mistakes and those are mistakes they'll not make again.
0: Just going along with something yeah, because someone yeah. put it on your desk because, and you're Because, like- you know,
1: some executive is like, this is what I want and if... If you, as a product manager, do not understand the value of it and the problem that you're solving for, then yeah, that's very, very dangerous.
0: Right, and that's, that raises the question of... I mean, the fundamental challenge of product management is negotiating all of these people, many of whom are peers, oftentimes people senior to you within the organization. And if you're doing your job right and you're adhering to the principles that you know work, Then you're oftentimes faced with somebody driving toward a really bad decision. And how do you, how do you, is it just about confidence and courage? Is it just about sometimes you have to suck it up and let the CEO or whoever have their way? And how do you negotiate that and feel good about yourself?
1: So I think the first thing is that. Well, what I've noticed in our culture in business is nobody ever wants to just complain about problems and we're all encouraged, like, don't be whiners, come up with, be proactive, come up with a solution and that carries over in the business, right? So... Oftentimes, you get people just wanting solutions, but you don't really know why. You don't know why they want that solution. And so I think it's up to product managers to really go and uncover those things and understand the root cause. Um, I equate this to, you know, nobody would ever go, well, no doctor would ever... Have a patient walk into their office and say, I need this drug, and a doctor would just give it to them. A doctor would be like, Well, what are your symptoms? You know, help me understand why you think you need this. Unless they're on
0: the pharmaceutical payroll and they're just like, (laughs) Try this new thing. Right. (laughs) But we digress. Yeah, you're right. A good doctor would ask those questions.
1: Yeah, and I think a good product manager will uncover, you know, sometimes what you hear, even, even sometimes the problems that you hear are symptoms of deeper problems. And it can be hard, I mean, it can be really hard to try and uncover deep problems that people might not feel comfortable talking about or people might haven't, like maybe haven't thought of either and like getting in there, like rolling up your sleeves and figuring those things out is really really important,
0: right? It's so an example of perhaps where the the five whys can be helpful. Yep. Why is
1: that? Why is that? Mm-hmm. And and I found um, good team members, if they're empowered to call you out, then they should. Because if your team doesn't understand the value of what you're building or the problem that you're solving for, then you don't have their buy-in either. Right.
0: So the advice it sounds like is. Stop and ask why. Mm-hmm. This is a good way to kind of insert yourself from going too far too fast. Absolutely. Um, do you think product management is a male-dominated space still?
1: Yes, because I don't know that many female product managers.
0: So I, I thought maybe you might have said not anymore, but you don't know in the early days, but. So it's always male-dominated and you feel that it's still male-dominated.
1: I mean, if I could think about, you know, my product manager friends um, or people that I've worked with in past companies, I would say 25% female. That's just a rough guess.
0: Why do you think there aren't, I mean, aside from the standard problematic reasons of men in power and, and women not having access to it, I think things are changing do you think that women don't gravitate toward product or is that am I just that maybe that's sexist to me? Why aren't women around? I want to know. I mean, yeah, where
1: are they? Yeah, where are they? I mean that's
0: and I ask this question because for me part of the goal what's so important about 100 pm is to present an inclusive and expansive window into product management and it's always been you know part of our core mission i don't just want to talk to a hundred guys i don't want a hundred guys to tell me about what's what but i want to talk to them i mean there's great men in the industry they've got great insights but i want to talk to women and and we've been successful in doing that but i almost have to wonder how much that is the efforts of us kind of ferreting out those few women that are out there and let's have that conversation. Why aren't women in product? It's so fun.
1: It's so much fun. I think that, you know, product, software product management is still pretty technical. And that's my guess as to why there aren't more women, because I think that there's more women in leadership roles, right? Like I think product management is a leadership type of role, but it's also combining like technical acumen And, you know, there's countless of studies that say, you know, women aren't really gravitating towards, or or I guess girls in school aren't really gravitating towards science and math, right? And how can we encourage that? How can we encourage from a young age, um, having girls embrace technology?
0: By giving them the same cover on magazines as boys get, probably, which is like, Images of computers and mountains and messages that's like ready to conquer the world versus hairbrushes and fashion from that early age.
1: There, you know, there is this meme that I saw recently, and um, I'm gonna try and find it. Uh, But it was like, what if, you know, the cover of Glamour wasn't, you know, the 10 hottest new trends for fall and like how to get them to propose, and you know, all those headlines that they put on those women magazines. What if instead it was like, how to empower your team, you know, how to be a great communicator? How, what are your thoughts on leadership and da 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 da? like, how, how would that change our mentality and our culture?
0: Right, yeah. Start early, plant seeds early. The the. You can do anything, and that anything is meant to include anything boys can do, Mm -hmm. too. Ghostbusters is a good start, but then you saw what happened with that. Everybody shit all over it because girls can't have nice things, I think. Um, Have you ever wanted to start your own product business? Start-up dreams?
1: Uh... I have.
0: (laughs) You have done it or you have wanted to? I
1: have done it. Okay. I have done it. So I tried, well, my boyfriend at the time, who's now my husband, we started an app company. He's a software developer. And then he just didn't want to work on it anymore, so we dissolved it. But I mean, we got pretty far. We registered as an LLC, and we had a working prototype, and we had content for our app, and I think the idea was good, and I actually still think the idea is good. Uh, And I ran gosh this was like 10 years ago. I used to have a blog about the Pittsburgh Steelers just because I'm a huge football fan and are you from Pittsburgh? I'm not from Pittsburgh. I love the Steelers. I, I'm from Cleveland originally but I went to college in Pittsburgh and okay. like living in Pittsburgh pretty much um, means that you have to become a Steelers fan are they it's like an unspoken, run you out of the town It's an unspoken rule like you just have it, it's like a virus that you catch when you're there. So I uh, made a blog about it and I, at the time I was trying to learn more about um, search engine optimization and so I just tried, applied it to my blog and it was fun. You know, I just wrote articles about the players and like uh, there were a lot of players at that time that I just really admired because I thought that they were really good role models And they used their fame in order to help, you know, their fans and help, you know, society in general. Um, And so it was, like, fun for me. It was my hobby. So i just, like, you know, post articles about them and write things. And, like, you know, I made, like, a JavaScript, like, what's your Steeler's nickname generator? Um... Yeah, and I tried...
0: What's the formula
1: for getting your Steeler's nickname? Oh man, I think it was just random. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was. Not like, like it, it your
0: middle name plus the last name of your first elementary school. no
1: yeah I just included like actual Steelers nicknames right. and you just type in your name and it's just awesome. like spit something out
0: <laughs> how did you do on the SEO by the way
1: did you get to the top ranking position I was in the top 10 for a while nice. which was really awesome nice. yeah and I uh earned enough money off of ad revenue to like fund um you know a couple cases of beer every now and then (laughs) (laughs)
0: this is a great case study we talk a lot about
1: side projects
0: and the importance of taking on side projects certainly as a way of getting experience when you don't have experience but I think also as a way of learning things especially if your your job doesn't afford you that room right so if you're in product management but you happen to be in a larger organization and your role is more structured and maybe you're not really touching the marketing as much but you're watching all of this exciting stuff that's kind of happening with inbound and with ad tech and you're thinking I want to get in on this I want to I want to see if I can get to 10,000 page views in 30 Mm -hmm. days and then, you know, it's it's having that constant curiosity to go out and, and play on your own and yeah. stay fresh.
1: and it's fun. Yeah,
0: <laughs> well, especially if you have a, a cool topic. Yeah. Like and, uh,
1: yeah, and I guess, like, my most current side project is the Product Managers Association of LA, so... That was going to
0: be my next question. <laughs> You're just like...
1: Perfect segue. Thank you. Yeah, so, you know, it's been it's been really, really interesting working with this organization. Yeah. So, tell us
0: about it for, cause there's probably people listening who aren't familiar with this It's PMA
1: LA. Yep, And the website's PMA.LA. We've been around, I think for three or four years, I went to the first meetup ever, uh, and got to know the founder. Um, and then, just started volunteering. So we hosted our second ever product camp this past July uh, at Hulu. We had about 300 other product managers attend. Uh, Marty Kagan was our keynote speaker. And it was just, it was so much fun. I mean, I didn't ever think that like event planning would be in my wheelhouse, but events are products, you know, and like, there's all these, tiny little details that you got to think of or else they're going to kick you in the ass later. And, you know, it was fun just figuring things out, like flying by the seat of my pants because we, um, this year we had to register to become a nonprofit. And I'm just like, I have no idea how to do that. How do I register, you know, this business with the state of California and how do I set up the accounting? So I just kind of,
0: well, you normally have entire legal departments that look after those. Yeah, but
1: we're, you know, we're a volunteer-run organization, right. so it's, like, someone's got to do it. Um, hopefully. I didn't miss anything. <laughs> Guess we'll find <laughs> out next tax season. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, um, you know, it's, it's been great. Like, we have, uh, aside from Product Camp, it was, like, an all-day Saturday thing. Um, aside from that, we have, like, meetups every other month or so around LA and you know hopefully we can increase to more but we're really looking at you know what does it mean to create a community of product managers and how you know how can we better service them and how can we bring people together and like what things do they care about and how can we make that happen? Right,
0: We're, we'll solicit listener feedback on this because I was going to ask you that same question which was exactly, it's what does the product management community need uh, because it is a community. and I was at the, at the meetup, as you know, um, a few weeks ago at Philosophy and it was a great event and I felt it was nice to be in a room and be like oh hey and oh hey and all these people that you know from different avenues yeah he thought it's funny LA is this big city and yet there is this very vibrant and emerging community Mm -hmm. and I am wondering a lot about how do we nourish it as as people who are volunteering in the space of bolstering awareness for product management um, bolstering awareness for the real people doing the real jobs So you don't have the answers is what you're saying.
1: I I mean, I don't think anyone has all of the answers, but we should be getting together more and talking about it, right? Like talking about what keeps us up at night and talking about like, hey, you know, can you help poke holes in my ideas or, you know, help me try and figure this out and, and we should help each other.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, I think you're, you're absolutely right about that because we're all sort of doing it alone and it is in many ways new. I mean, as you described earlier, you're sort of able to go back and retrospectively put a label on things that weren't called product management then, Mm -hmm. even though they they very clearly were. And I think there's so many people entering into the space for the first time. There's people like yourself who have been doing it for a lot of years. Every environment is different. The tools are being ushered in, old tools are, are being ushered out. And it can sometimes feel there's this sense of, am I doing everything wrong and everybody is better at this than me? And that's, it's nice to go, oh, no, you're not. We're all kind of making it up sometimes. And then, hey, here's actually a really cool thing that I used to do that could be applicable. Or here's a really great tool that we're using that helped us to automate this process.
1: Yep. Yep. And, um, a couple companies back, I worked for like this small boutique product management consulting firm, and it was really cool to see an applied methodology that the entire company took in order, you know, to just understand requirements that we're going to deliver to our clients. And they, you know, had this prescribed approach and it was it was great because i'm like oh wow you guys crystallized into paper um because they've written books uh, you've, you guys have crystallized in the paper what i've kind of been doing and these are also really great ideas that i'd never thought of and i'll start incorporating that now but i think that everybody could benefit from that
0: right all right product managers everywhere come to the next pma what is the next event
1: oh my gosh, you know what? We, we don't have one set yet.
0: Oh, well, Tina. Okay. No. Product managers everywhere. By the time you listen to this conversation, <laughs> we will really try to have that next event online. PMA.LA.
1: Yep. It'll be on our website as soon as we've got it set. Okay. All right.
0: Aside from, from your organization, are there any recommended resources that you would want to kind of add to, at 100pm we have kind of an ever growing recommended reading list and it's not just reading, it's podcasts it's blogs, it's anything that you think you gotta know this it doesn't have to be product management but just that somebody that is has impacted your work view life view or I don't know
1: I you know I read um the Silicon Valley product group blog, which is Marty Kagan's blog. Um I don't think that's anything new. But what I think is important is focus on the stuff that the kids like and the kids are doing and kids, you know, I'm putting that into loose quotes, but it's like we need to look at the generations who are younger than us because, you know, I'm I'm old enough where I remember, you know, in high school signing onto the internet for the first time through AOL <laughs> and that
0: sound of
1: the dial up of the, so the and modem. That. I remember that, but you know what, like there are people entering the workforce today who just grew up with the internet. And so the way that they're going to think about things, they're going to be completely different. And I think that it's always really important to care or understand what they care about and use the apps that they use.
0: So do you have any, like, millennial influencers or products that the kids use that you've taken (laughs) up in your life as a way of
1: connecting? Let me see. I'm going to look at my apps.
0: Yeah, it's like these are the moments where I'm, like, I'm old. Well, it's funny, you know, when... Why it's called the reading list and it's not a reading list is precisely because I think everybody wants to read their news and read their information because I want to read my news and information Mm -hmm. and then I realized you know I have conversations with people and I say any books and like oh I don't read books but I've got 20 podcasts I can tell you about and I thought I'm old but also this is important so
1: so uh This is kind of an older one but it's called Neko Etsume and it's like this game that you can play with um you basically just have like a patio and you can put out like food and toys and then cats will come and it really appeals to like the crazy cat lady side of me so that's a game I really like. Uh, I actually like bonded with one of these interns that I worked with a couple of months ago because she had like and Neko Etsume lanyard. So we had like something in common, which I think was pretty cool. Um, <laughs> and this this is actually really funny. So I was in, last year I was in a fantasy football league and the commissioner was a lot younger than me and he was like, Venmo me your twenty dollar entry, or if you're over the age of twenty five, you can PayPal it. And I was like, damn.
0: <laughs> Are you on Venmo?
1: Well, yeah, I joined after that. I was like, I'm not gonna be outdone.
0: <laughs> I love Venmo, but I, I, yeah, it's they have one actual fatal product, um, fatal product flaw, in my opinion, which is that you can't bind two people can't bind to the same account. So if you're married, you have to have a separate Venmo account, which is like major oversight on the use cases.
1: I mean, but probably their target users aren't married.
0: <laughs> it's just you telling me mold again in a, in, a, in a nicer way. Um, I want to reflect back to you. First of all, thank you so much for taking the time to thank chat with Thank you for this.
1: having it's me. Awesome. it has been and a blast.
0: Also... Uh, we're so lucky to have you because you know we talked a little bit before about women in tech and, and where are they and we want you, we want you to come up and I also love that you're here kind of shattering the stereotypes with your Pittsburgh Steelers blog and your fantasy <laughs> football and all of these and, and embracing the technical um, from a very very early age So I think it's very inspirational for people to hear and say yeah, there are so many different ways, not just in which product managers can look, but but what it can look to be uh, female-identified and embrace ideas that aren't typically associated with that gender and fucking rock it and be incredibly <laughs> successful. So thank you so much. Yeah, really enjoyed it. Thanks for it.
1: having me, Suzanne. Awesome.
0: You're listening to 100PM the official podcast for 100productmanagers.com. If you haven't been to our site, please check it out. We have so many great resources for anybody looking to learn more about product management or starting a technology business. I'm your host, Susanna Bate. Join me here. We've got a new conversation every Tuesday. We'll see you next time.